Today's scripture will be in three parts. The first passage is from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. This is God's word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The second passage is from 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the last passage is from Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. As you may have noticed, uh, recently there's been an influx of new members making a public commitment to be part of our church. Uh, So today, uh, during the first half of my time, uh, I wanted to remind each of us here why church membership matters. And my hope is that God will use this message uh, to rekindle your love for the church and to help you, if you've been struggling, uh, to recommit yourselves to the life of the church as we continue to journey on as a covenant community. And during the second half of my time, I'm going to make an important announcement, but that'll come after the sermon. So with that goal in mind, uh, let's begin our time today by thinking through some of the uh, relationships that we are called to value the most in this life. What first comes to mind, you know, it's my personal relationship with the Lord, the relationship that by His grace He establishes with me. Uh, you know, I'm adopted into His family, and He counts me as one of His children. What an amazing reality that is, if you just let it sink into your heart. He is my Heavenly Father who loves me, and He calls me His own. And He knows me so well that it says that even the very hairs on my head are numbered. I still have hair, by the way. You just don't see it, okay? But see, God sees it, and the point is that he knows us so well that even he doesn't let the minutia of life be overlooked. He's a personal God. And so all of my life is meant to flow out of this personal relationship I have with God because he is my ultimate love. He has my ultimate allegiance. That should be true for all of us here. 
then you move sort of outward, right? And there's this thing called marriage. There's a marriage relationship, which we know that God greatly values as well, since he is the one who declared what God has joined together, let man not separate. And from marriage, you know, families are created. And so there's me, and then there's my relationship with my wife and children. And if you're married, you know very well that you just, you can't ignore your other relational ties with your extended family either. They can't be ignored. And so there's this there's intricate web of relationships that's created through this mysterious marriage union. And I am to value these relationships as God values them. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, extended family, and especially for his immediate family, so my wife and kids, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so I just want to see how, how God prioritizes things here. So God values these relationships. Then you move further outward, and you have your larger spiritual family that you're called to love and be committed to. In fact, this may surprise some of you, but Christ teaches that there is a sense in which our commitment to God's people, our spiritual family, the church of God, ought to be stronger than our commitment to our own flesh and blood. Matthew 12 is an example. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, it says his earthly mother and his brothers stood outside asking if they can speak to him. And so here's Jesus replying to the man who, who gives, them, gives him this news. You know, like, Jesus, your, your mom and your brothers are waiting for you. Can, they want a word with you? This is how he responds to, to the crowd. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here, looking at his disciples, right, looking at the believers surrounding him, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Imagine how shocking it would have been and actually hurtful it would have been for his earthly mom to hear these words in that setting. And this isn't teaching us, by the way, that it's okay to neglect our immediate family members, as a previous verse already told us. Rather, it shows us that Christ deeply values the spiritual family of believers who have been united together by faith in Jesus. And by making this kind of statement, Jesus is essentially educating us on how we should view our fellow believers in Christ. Now, if you are in Christ, guess what? You are a brother and a sister to me. And we are to share a mutual commitment to one another. Please do not overlook this point, right? If if the Lord is that committed to his people, think about it. How much more should we be committed to God's people? Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, everyone, every single person in the world. Let us do good to all people. However, especially, 
it says, to those who belong to the family of believers. So again, you, you see how God prioritizes relationships. Yeah, be, be good to all. Do good to all, especially to believers. You know, when, when Hurricane Ian hit Florida really hard a few days ago, how many of you were worried for the people there? Right? The nice thing to do would be raise your hand, but um, I, bet, I bet if you had family there, if you actually had family there, you would have been like, yeah, I, I was really worried because I had family there. Right? I'm pretty sure all of you would be worried if you actually had family there. But think about this. The point I'm trying to make this morning is, but we do have family members there, right? They're called our brothers and sisters in Christ, and their hearts should gravitate toward them because they're part of our family. Right? That's how we're to view these relationships. Let me now narrow things down instead of sort of going out concentrically, okay? Let me, let me have you think about this. Okay, we all hopefully agree that God wants us to be committed to our fellow believers, but here's a question that I think is, is really worth posing. Do the scriptures teach that we are to be especially and uniquely committed to a particular group of believers, like what we would call a local church, okay, like what we call cornerstone? And my answer is yes, he does, but... Please do not take my word for it. You need to really see, uh, see it from the Bible. You know, the reason why most people have difficulty with church membership, I believe, is because we live in a culture that tends to idolize the self. You know, we idolize self-expression. We idolize self-identity. And so it's all about self and me and what I want, what my ego tells me to do. And so what I hope to do this morning is to convince you that church membership is not man's idea, but it's God's idea. And because it's God's idea, you are to appreciate it and value it, and not just go with what your ego tells you to do. The way many people attend church today, you know, just kind of slipping in and slipping out whenever they want to without any meaningful commitment, is not consistent with the biblical portrait of the Christian life, as I hope you will see through these three basic principles from the Bible that I'm about to share with you. And there are actually more principles, but because of time, I just, I, I'm limiting, limiting it to three, okay, for everyone's sake this morning. So number one, God's Word says that leaders are called to care for their flock. And 1 Peter 5 is clear on this point. You know, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, and not domineering over those in your charge. Or don't be domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And so think about this with me, right? It says, don't domineer over those in your charge. Think about what that implies. It implies that the elders had to know whom they were responsible for, right? Who they were over. There are hundreds of churches in Northern Virginia, right? There are hundreds of flock, basically. So which is my flock? Which, which flock is my flock? Which one is the one I'm in charge of? So when someone walks through those doors, I need to be able to quickly 
identify if that person is part of my flock or not. That's being a good shepherd. And if it's someone I'm not familiar with, the proper thing for me to do is I, I need to kind of figure it out. Like, I need to find out asking such questions like, are you visiting from another flock? I don't, I don't put it that. Another church, right? Are you with another church? What church are you from if you are? Because right? I want to know whether that person is a sheep with a shepherd or a sheep who is in need of a shepherd. Is this a wandering sheep, kind of lost in the wilderness that needs a home? You know, for this passage, and these passages I'm about to share, for these passages to make any practical sense, there, see, there has to be a way in which a believer is accounted for by the leaders of a church. You can't just show up and expect the pastors to exercise spiritual oversight over you, right? You would think that would be inappropriate. Right? You never agreed to be counted as his flock, so why is this pastors like so overbearing, you know, you would think? For example, like members are expected to be part of our small group ministry. Non-members are not expected to. I mean, they're welcome to, right? We invite them if we have the space, of course. But, you know, members only are really expected to be part of the life of the church in that way. You know, members are expected to know and affirm what the church believes in. Non-members are not. They're not expected to know. They're, you know, they're attenders, they're, they're visitors. Which brings us to our second principle. We are taught to submit to our leaders. You can think of this as the flip side of the same coin, right? We are taught to submit to our leaders, including myself, believe it or not. I have, I have leaders too, right? But I'll, I'll explain to you how it's a bit different with, with pastors, Okay? But it says we're taught to submit to our leaders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And so for this verse to make any sense, again, we all need to know which leaders we're called to submit to, don't you think? Like, are you going to submit to every pastor you meet, even if their voices may differ, like their, even if their beliefs may differ? How about the ones you listen to online? Are you supposed to submit to them too? It will be virtually impossible. So one of our responsibilities as believers is to know who our leaders are and know that they're the ones who are held accountable by God to keep watch over our souls. Very important principle, okay? But I also want to qualify this because I know that especially those who are younger, uh, they tend to be much more innocent. You know, the older you get, it's true, the more jaded you get, and you're like, whatever, you, know? you can't trust anybody. <laughs> I can't trust, I'm not going to follow anybody. I can't trust anyone, right? Uh, but when you're younger, I've seen this tendency for people to kind of blindly follow and obey whatever their leaders tell them to do. And so I want to caution you, right? Please do not blindly submit to your leaders. There is such a thing as spiritual abuse, and you never want to blindly submit to or obey pastors, especially those who tend to demand your total allegiance based on their own, let's say, private 
prophetic vision or completely arbitrary and unverifiable interpretation of Scripture, if you know what I mean. Some of you experienced that. You know, it kind of looks like this. You know, I had a dream last night, and God told me that you need to quit your job and sell all of your possessions because the end is near. <laughs> Jesus is coming soon, so let's hunker down together and drink this cup and die. There's, you know, it's, there, has been, there has been those examples too, but usually they don't, they don't go that far. Or God told me that if you want to be part of this church, you need to sign this contract and commit to serving here for 10 full years. I think that was the length. Maybe it was 20. I don't know. I forget exactly. But I'm not making this up. There are churches operating. There have been churches and probably still are churches that operate that way. And they put a tremendous guilt trip on you. And they say you're not obeying. You're not being godly unless you sign this contract and do what your leaders tell you to do. Free yourselves from them. Do not let them violate your consciences. Know that you're called to submit to your leaders insofar as they're asking you to obey God's revealed word. They do not have the authority to demand anything more from you. But this also means that you're to know what the church actually believes and what your pastors are committed to teaching, right? That will be the responsible, responsible thing for you to do as someone who's looking to commit to be a member somewhere. In our membership classes, we always go over this uh, concept. It's that all covenant and members, or all, all committed members of the church should be aware that on any given issue, you can, because you have, three, you have three options, okay? You can actively concur. That means you can actively agree, like wholeheartedly, without any reservation, Number two, you can passively submit. In other words, you may have a little bit of question with maybe a belief or practice. Some of you are from, like, let's say, Baptist settings, and you're not fully comfortable with baptizing young children. But, however, you're willing to submit still. You're, you're passively submitting. Not wholeheartedly, but you're not going to make a, like, a ruckus out of this thing. You're not going to divide the church over this issue. That's passively submitting. And number three, you can peaceably withdraw. Others, we can quietly leave and find another church that you agree with more. Right? These are your three options. And you do this so as not to cause unnecessary division or disunity in the body. So do you know what your church believes? Let me just give you a few samples for you to consider Sample number one, we love and care for all women, but we believe that virtually all abortions being practiced today are equivalent to murder. We understand that there may be a few exceptions here and there. And we definitely believe that the practice of abortion on demand, which is being pushed in our day, this means like you can have an abortion whenever you want to and even unto the point of birth, that policy and practice is absolutely evil. And because of these beliefs we hold to, people have left our church in the past because they don't agree with it and, you know, we're sad for them. But we expect that our beliefs will cause such a reaction. We're not surprised. Secondly, 
Second example, we, we love those who would consider themselves homosexuals or transgendered, but we do not believe that loving them means that we ought to affirm their sin as something that is good or acceptable. And people have left our church because they don't, they don't agree with us on that issue either. We're sad for them, but we, we're not surprised. Third, we believe that men and women are created equal before God, but we also believe that they're given different roles to fulfill in this world, especially in the family and in the church, which is why we have no problems echoing Scripture and and saying that the husband is the head of the wife and that the church and the offices of the church, like elder and deacon, these offices are to only be occupied by godly and qualified men, and that's such a obstacle for so many people in our day. And so many people have left our church after checking us out because they don't agree with us on that particular issue. We're sad for them, but we're not surprised. Lastly, we believe that racism in a fallen world will always exist. And we know that we're to fight against racism the best we can, but we also believe that any belief system that claims that you are, you are a racist or that you are an oppressor simply based on the color of your skin, that itself is a racist ideology, and it needs to be called out for what it is. And I've said this before, we, we cannot be a church that's committed to fighting racism with more racism. It makes no sense, and people have left our church because they don't agree with us on that either. We're sad for them, but we're not surprised. Third principle, we are members of the body of Christ. Think of the body image. We're members of Christ's body. Christ is the head. We are members of his body, and this implies that individual members like yourselves are intentionally, intentionally connected and you're to be deeply committed to one another, right? Caring for one, when one member suffers, you're to suffer as well because you're part of the same body. If there's conflict or tension among the body, you're to do your best to resolve that tension, supporting each other through the ups and downs of life, being patient with one another, I love what John Piper says about this, these concepts, sort of helping us understand how the local church body is, is supposed to be understood in, in light of the larger universal church. Hear this word. The body of Christ universally, that's the big C, the big church, is expressed through the smaller bodies of Christ locally. Right? To, to belong to the body of Christ means to belong to a body of Christ. Right? The local church is a visible expression of the universal church. I think that's very helpful. It clarifies so much. You know, during my younger years, it, it helped me um, immensely to, to realize that, see, every relationship is actually built upon a certain foundation. 
And, and then I, I realized, and then things started clicking for me. So every relationship is built on a certain foundation, but see, there, there's no foundation greater than the foundation of Christ, which means our membership to Christ's body is far more important than anything else out there. For example, friendships, our friendships. We value them so much, don't we? Our friendships are built on what exactly? Usually just common interests. And they're actually very fragile unless they're built on Christ. I confess, I used to have a wider variety of friends when I was younger. I had, just to give you one example, I had my sports buddies. I was a big baller back in the day. I, I, it's pretty much all I did, play basketball and did some side things like ping pong. Don't laugh. Um, you know, in my older years, I'm just playing chess right now, basically. <laughs> but my younger years, I was a pretty serious basketball player, and I confess, I, I used to have these basketball buddies, but they were just good for basketball, there was nothing else really to truly uh, sustain our relationship. So once I got older, I stopped playing. See, our relationship sort of gradually faded. That's just reality. Unless you have a stronger foundation, that's what relationships typically look like. But then you have family. You have your familial relationships, right? These, these ties are stronger than mere friendships because... It's based on blood relations, and as we all know, typically, okay, in any normal relationship, blood is thicker than water. That's why many of you are so committed to your families. But see, Christ brings people together based on his own shed blood. And based on his blood, he establishes his church and I'm arguing today that, see, there's nothing more powerful or more significant than that. But unfortunately, people tend to ignore this reality, and they, they tend to mock the church because it's the cool thing to do nowadays. And they tend, to, they tend to foolishly value their gym memberships or their Costco memberships. I confess I do that sometimes. Um, or their Amazon Prime memberships or whatever. You still watch Netflix? or whatever you guys watch, those memberships, you value those above church membership, and that is just not right. The church is built on the foundation of Christ. It's the strongest foundation that exists. And if that's the case, brothers and sisters, why do you think it would not involve making a strong, lasting, outward commitment to it? Let me conclude my message by sharing a bit that I've shared with you before, but it's been a while, but I find it to be refreshing. It's, a, it's written by a close friend of mine, just for, you know, in a private context, but it, it's, it kind of puts things in perspective for me. I think, I hope that it will do for you as well. He writes, let me say something about post-Christian culture and secularism's hatred of the church. I'm getting increasingly irritated at Christians who bag on God's church. In a culture where the theological and religious sensibilities are so backwards, that so, so many people consider it self-evident that God can be judged by our 
own righteous intuitions, it cannot be surprising that the church will become increasingly despised. And I will be the first to admit that many, many individual local churches stink, but in a culture where the people do not know their right hand from their left, their only hope is the gospel, and their only hope is the gospel as proclaimed by the church. The gospel is not some word which merely floats around in history. It's proclaimed by a beacon, and that beacon is the church, the bride of the Lord. That dumpy building with the nativity scene around the corner from your house where lowly people gather to adore the God laid in an animal's feeding trough, that is the beacon apart from which we are just the worthless walking dead. If Christians won't love the church when Jesus does, then our culture is headed for death. It's already happening, guys. A people who try to kill off the true and living God amidst us, which is the church, is to only kill ourselves. If we end up getting so sick and tired of the church and join our culture's despisers and hating the church, then we do not deserve a better church. The church is not so good in and of itself by the religious performance of its members. The church is good because Jesus loves her and comes to dwell in her by his spirit. He has united himself to a whore and he makes her lovely. Why should Jesus bless us to cause his bride to bloom with greater beauty when we hate we, when we hate his wife. The church is comprised not primarily by a mystical body. It is comprised of very real persons in very real neighborhoods. The Lord loves his bride and all her weaknesses by grace, not by her merits. So I ask for you all to love your church and be thankful that we all get to adore Jesus in, with, and through his bride, the church. Amen? I'm glad the 11 o'clock amen was louder than the 9 o'clock amen. Amen. It's not always the case, even though you, are, you have many more here. Let's pray together. Dear Father, as you call each of us to become members in the larger body of Christ, give us grace to preserve its unity and peace. Grant us the humility to serve with a goal to edify and bless others and to honor Christ in all we do. We thank you, Lord, for feeding us with your word today. May you sustain us as your people and keep us in your grace for another week until we gather as a church to worship you again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.